0: And now, bringing us God's Word this morning is one of our own elders, uh, Rick Britton, who will be preaching for us this morning. Rick? Thank you, Pastor. We're going to uh, look at God's Word in Psalm 19 this morning. So, if you turn your Bible to Psalm 19, keep it open there as we work through that Psalm this morning. This is the word of the Lord for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world." In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we come to one of the most well-known and popular psalms, Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis called this the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyric poems in the world. And that's quite a compliment coming from the esteemed English literature professor at Oxford. You probably recognize bits and pieces of it as we read it. Maybe, like me, at some point you memorized it. Question. What is it about this psalm that makes it so loved by the church? Is it the beautiful poetry? Yeah, I think that's part of it. In fact, it was set to music. It begins... For the director of music, a psalm of David. And that's part of the inspired Hebrew text. It's not an add-on later on. Many traditional and contemporary songs and hymns have been written based on this psalm. And I, I really wish I could hear that original musical score. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe we will someday in heaven. I imagine musicians like David and others Every bit as talented as your pick your favorite musician, Mozart or John Mayer, putting this to music and using every bit of creativity and all the gifts God has given them to make it come to life. But there's more here than the musical poetry and lyric beauty. What makes this psalm so beautiful and so beloved is the message. It's God's invitation to us to tune in to what God has revealed about himself, to tune in to what he's said about himself. Don't let the static of life noisily drown out God's message. So this morning, we're going to look from this psalm, kind of following the structure of the psalm, at three ways to tune in to God's message for us today look up look down and look at jesus look up look up at god's world to see what he's revealed about himself we see this in verses one to seven it's a creation hymn verse one the heavens declare the glory of god the skies proclaim the work of His hands. God has spoken in creation. His world says something about His glory, His majesty, His power, His presence. Theologians call this general revelation, general revelation. The entire cosmos, from the beautiful blazing sun, the life-sustaining warmth of the sun in the big bold azure skies of summer to the to the stars and the glory of the planets the galaxies the moon last night anybody see the moon last night i missed it <laughs> Bar's, she's out there She the mu- the moon is beautiful i'm going to take a picture of it and i'm like i'm working on my sermon i really can't look right now <laughs> "...the heavens declare the glory of God." Creation reveals God's majesty, His power, His presence, and His love for beauty and order. There's a couple of things we see here in this psalm about creation. One is that it sends a continuous and constant message about God. Verse 2, "...day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge." In other words, it's not fuzzy, it's not static. God's message in creation is clear. With the the cycles of day and night, summer and winter, the laws of physics that govern the cosmos speak of a creator, like having a beautiful Swiss watch that never misses a beat, which speaks of the craftsmanship of the watchmaker. God's creation speaks of his beauty and majesty in craftsmanship and creation. Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists in history, profoundly shaped our understanding of nature with his discovery of the laws of gravity and the laws of motion. He was no lightweight. He also invented calculus. I'll forgive him for that one, because I really struggled with that in college newton built the first ever reflecting telescope he showed that sunlight is made up of all the colors of the rainbow but did you know that newton was also a devout christian and loved and studied god's word the bible his belief that the heavens reveal the glory of god and that day by day uh, the 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 day-by-day working of the cosmos reveals god's handiwork was foundational to his understanding of nature and his discovery of the laws of physics. Young people, if God is calling you to a profession in the sciences, that is a noble and very Christian thing to do, to pursue. I've spent most of my career in technology, although I have a degree in theology. Um, but but it's, it's a good thing to do. The heavens declare the glory of God. So God's message is constant in the cycle of creation, but it's also universal. Look at verses 3 and 4. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Here's the point. Culture, language, GPS coordinate. None of them are barriers to God's message in creation. All people everywhere should get it. The voice of creation testifies to God's glory. It's not an audible voice, but it speaks loudly nevertheless. Every square inch of this universe screams that there is a God. The Apostle Paul understood this very well. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. No human being will ever stand before God and say, I didn't know. Why didn't somebody tell me God existed? Because the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. Now, general revelation, God's revelation of Himself in Scripture, can tell us a lot, but it can only go so far it's kind of like my wedding ring okay it tells you something about me it tells you that i'm married but it doesn't tell you anymore doesn't tell you my likes and my dislikes it doesn't tell you what my favorite food is it doesn't tell you whether i'm a messy or a clean freak don't ask my wife about that one but it does tell you there is a god God didn't write John 3.16 in the clouds. Um, he, didn't, he didn't write it in the clouds you know, to tell us how to know him personally. To know him personally, we need more than general revelation. We need special revelation. We need scripture. And that's number two. Point one is tune into God's message by looking up at God's world. But also look down at God's written word. Study scripture. And we see this in verses 7 through 11. Here the topic changes from creation to scripture. Theologians speak about God's two books. His book of nature and his book of scripture. So now we look at his book of scripture. And notice how David describes scripture with beautiful Hebrew poetic parallelism. He uses six synonyms, six synonyms. The law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. These are all names for Scripture except the fear of the Lord. That one's a little bit of an outlier because the fear of the Lord talks more about the effect of Scripture than a, 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 a parallel, but but you get the idea. He's talking about God's written word, God's word revealed through the prophets, and uh, and, and 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 God's people, and um, uh, synonyms for the word of God. So there's another thing you should notice here as we shift from general revelation to special revelation is the name of God that's used changes in the first six verses the heavens declare the glory of god the word for god there is el or elohim it's the general name for god it's used in genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now as we get into the word of god the term of the Lord is repeated, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, and that 's the covenant name of God yahweh it 's a different word. And so we move from the God of creation to a personal God, a covenant God, a God that we can know, that we can know personally. And these uh, six descriptions, these six synonyms for god 's word, law, statutes, precepts, etc are followed with six descriptions the law of the lord is perfect why because god is perfect it's his word the statutes are trustworthy why because god is trustworthy the precepts of the lord are right because god is right the commands of the lord are radiant because god is radiant they're pure and sure and altogether righteous because that's what god is But what I really want you to see here is David's takeaway. David's takeaway. God's word is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. As someone said, it's better than money or honey. (laughs) I kind of like that. It gets the point across. Why? Why is God's word so magnificently sweet and precious? Well, I think it's found in those six benefits that are listed. So let's let's just look at them quickly. Let's look down into God's Word and see the benefits. First, it revives the soul. It revives the soul. It not only converts us. In fact, if you read the old King James Version here, it'll, it'll say it converts the soul. So, Scripture converts us. How? It teaches the Gospel, the good news that... God is holy, and we are sinners. But there is grace for those who put their faith and trust in Him, specifically through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it converts us; it transforms us. That would be a, it. Transforms us. That would be another good uh, translation here. But I like the NIV translation. It revives the soul. The law of the Lord revives the soul. Because it speaks of how God's word not only converts us, but it strengthens us. David uses the same language in Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Strength and sustenance. Jesus put it this way. People don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is why it's better than money or honey. Because God's word, through the Holy Spirit, feeds our souls, transforms our lives, and through it we can know and walk with God in a personal relationship. That's the beauty of the Christian life. Here's an application. I've heard a lot of people say, "Yeah, I don't need church. I can worship God in the great outdoors. Is that true? The heavens declare the glory of God? Yes, but they, they don't go far enough. You need to sit under the regular preaching of God's word. There's a reason pastors and elders get concerned when people stop coming to church. We've had to call. We've had to call people and say. Notice you haven't been in church lately, and we're not calling to nag you. We're calling because we love you, and you need to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word. Um, and we're concerned for you. We love you. I'm, you know, just want to know what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when our boys went away to college, one of them, who shall re- remain nameless, you know, was kind of pulling our chain a little bit, saying, I don't need to go to church now. He was in Madison. I don't have to, I don't have to go to church now. Um, I'm, on, I'm on my own. And my wife had the best answer to that. She said, you're right. You don't have to go to church. That's fine. Just know this. Pastor Peter will be calling you. <laughs> what? what? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, Pastor Peter and the elders will be calling you because you're part of that covenant community you're a member and um, they're concerned for you and uh so and we knew he was kind of joking and he knew we were kind of joking and he did eventually go to church um i i won't tell you which son it was but i'll give you a hint one's a pastor and one's studying to be a lawyer (laughs) so god's word revives the soul It also makes wise the simple. I love this. Do you want to be wise? In Scripture, wisdom means skillfully living God's way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I am so grateful that as a six-year-old child, my mother imparted wisdom to my childlike mind By taking me to Sunday school, I've got this little New Testament here. I was given this when I was in first grade by the church. It's signed here. Presented to Ricky Britton by the Parkwood Baptist Church School, October 9th, 19. Never mind that part. I am so grateful that as a six-year-old child, I had wisdom. I knew John 3, 16. I memorized it. I had wisdom that some PhDs don't have. Um, it makes wise the simple. Makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart. Do you, see the Bible? Do you see Bible study as dusty and dry? You need to spend more time reading the Bible then. Let me read you a quote from J.I. Packer. The joy of Bible study is not the fun of collecting esoteric tidbits about Gog and Magog, Tubal-Cain and Methuselah, Bible numerics and so on, nor is it the pleasure intense for the tidy-minded of analyzing our translated text into preacher's pretty patterns with neatly numbered headings held together by apt alliteration's artful aid. Rather, it is the deep contentment that comes of communing with the living Lord into whose presence the Bible takes us, a joy which only his own true disciples know. It brings joy. To the heart to read god's word try it it's a new year commit yourself to read through the bible and again it's not just personal bible study that's important it's also sitting under the regular faithful preaching of god's word and i'm so grateful that we have regular and faithful preaching of god's word in this congregation um, it's it, not every congregation has that folks Some to be very, very thankful for. It gives light to the eyes. Psalm 119. By the way, Psalm 119 is another psalm on God's word. And these six synonyms used here in Psalm 19 are repeated in the very same order in Psalm 119 that talks about God's word. So read that later if you want to get a little bit more detail. But one of the verses in Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, And a light unto my path. I like to collect old things, and um, I've got three little oil lamps that are about two thousand years old. They, somebody auctioned them off from a museum. Nobody wanted them. I put in a low bid and, and won them. One of them was found in the tombs in in Palestine, underground tombs. It's just this little oil lamp, and it was found sitting on the ground. Because back in the day, 2,000 years ago, they would have those little lamps on the ground lit, and it would light the path to the way through the dark tombs. And Scripture's like that. It provides light to our eyes. It's like like the sun. I love how the psalmist says in the first half of the psalm, there's nothing hidden from its heat. The, The beauty of the sun... Scripture's like that. Friends, nothing is hidden from its heat. It cuts right to the marrow, right to the heart of our hearts and the heart of the gospel. Um, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for life. It gives light to the eyes. One of the cries of the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura, scripture alone. Because in in Protestant, the Protestant Reformation, protesting, that word is related to the word for protest. What were were those cranky old reformers protesting? They were protesting the fact that we'd gotten away from scripture alone as the final authority for faith and practice. Well, there's more here, but let, let me summarize it here. I, I love what he says. He says, the word endures forever, and in keeping God's word, there is great reward. Great reward. Look, look, God's word does not tell us everything, but it does tell us the most important things. It's not a science textbook. Don't look in the word to be a science textbook. It won't tell you who to marry or what school to attend or what kind of a job you should do, what vocation you're being called to, but it will tell you how to know Jesus Christ and how to walk with Him and how to make those decisions wisely and confidently as you walk with Him. So, there's a lot more here that could be said about God's written word but i want to get to point number three so to tune in to god's message we look up and we look at creation i'm so grateful i work for a company we have hotels and attractions at iconic locations banff we own two hotels in downtown banff and the banff gondola if you've ever been there if you ever go to Banff or jasper let me know we own the glacier attraction we have big buses converted to to um to glacier Uh, mobile units that we take people out on a glacier. Uh, We're at Glacier National Park, we're at Iceland, and so forth. I love it because I see God's creation. So look up, look around, take note of God's creation. Also look down at His Word. Be a student of His Word. Be a student of His Word. And make make it your goal this year to really dig in to God's Word and get all those benefits. But most importantly is number three, Look to the Lord Jesus, God's final word. Psalm 19, like all Scripture, points us to Jesus Christ. We see this in how David concludes the psalm in verses 12 to 14. Let me just reread that. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When David considers God's creation and his majesty and God's word and his holiness, he also cries out like Hosea, woe is me because uh, I'm a man of unclean lips, David knew better than anyone, even though he was a man after God's own heart, knew better than anyone he was also a sinner. And we all know our own struggle with sin all too well. So he prays this prayer of faith, a prayer for freedom. Freedom from, first of all, the penalty of sin. Lord, forgive, forgive my hidden faults. Not just my sins of commission, the things I know I did wrong, but even those sins that I don't know. That sins of omission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Really? Have you done that, David, every minute of your life? Keep your servant... uh, forgive my hidden faults, for you are my rock and my redeemer. Freedom from the penalty of sin. But he also prays from for freedom from the power of sin. He says, Keep your servant also from willful sins. And then he goes on and says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord. He prays for strength, freedom from the power of sin, the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And Um, His response, friends, should be our response, right? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Look, David didn't have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ like we do, because we've got the entire Scriptures. We've got the New Testament. But he did know this, that the Old Testament sacrificial system could never remove sin completely. When he calls God my Redeemer, he looks forward in faith to the coming of a Messiah, a Redeemer King, a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek, as he says in Psalm 110. He looks to Jesus Christ. And friends, we know that Redeemer King that David looked forward to is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love it at the beginning of the service, we had some scripture read, the beginning of Hebrews. Let me read that again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed ear of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Here's my question for you. Uh, tuning into God, look up, see his creation, look down. Read his word and look to Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you put your trust in him as your rock and your redeemer? Friends, if you haven't, there's no better day than today. I know most of you have, but I'm sure there's someone here who's still struggling with that. Look to Jesus. Dig into his word. Dig into His Word. It will reveal through His Spirit Jesus Christ to you. And, um, and with that, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Lord, we don't always agree on the interpretation of everything, but we know this. We're commanded to love you. We love Jesus. We love one another. And so we give you thanks for your Word. It's precious. Lord, help us to see it as it is. Uh, ointment for the soul, a balm a, a balm for, for our souls and hearts. Lord, if anyone here doesn't know Jesus Christ today, may they get that straightened out with you before they go to bed tonight, fall on their knees, and say, Jesus, please help me to know you. I know I'm a sinner, and I know you died for my sins. Help me to, help me to live in a way that's pleasing to you so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.